Welcome to Rooting For You, a seasonal gardening podcast for non-experts. I'm Tess and I know nothing. And I'm Elise and I know some things. Each week we'll chat about one gardening topic and then discuss the effort reward payoff by asking, is the juice worth the squeeze? Just a heads up, there might be a bit of swearing in this episode. You've been warned. So we had quite a bit of interest on Instagram in today's topic. We're talking about mustards. Now, some of you, like me, might have zero clue what these edible plants are. And honestly, before Elise introduced me to them, I didn't even know they were a thing. But before we get stuck into today's topic, we've got a few things to say, or at least a few things to say on cabbage moths. So we are diving back there and then we'll get to the mustards. Elise, what has been on your mind since the episode? (laughs) So many things as I'm battling the old cabbage moth and butterfly myself in my garden. A couple of things I've noticed since we recorded that episode. When I mentioned the eggs being grey balls on the back of the leaves, I think I probably described the cabbage aphid more than the cabbage butterfly caterpillar situation cabbage aphids are another problem which we will deal with on another day (laughs) the cabbage butterfly eggs are like little yellow i want to say balls but actually they're almost more oblongs they almost look like the tiniest miniest caterpillar like not even a millimeter long but they kind of stick on the leaves does that make any sense I'm honestly, I'm a bit lost between the. So, hang on. What are the cabbage moths and butterflies? What do their eggs look like? They're like a yellowy color. Oh, so this is okay. So, I, the reason why I'm confused is because I think that I have had the these aphids. other things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and not the cabbage moths' eggs. Well, given your recent experience pulling caterpillars off your brassicas, you definitely did have caterpillar eggs. Mm. Like the aphids don't eat the leaves like that. The aphids okay. cause other problems, but not the leaf damage. So if you've got the leaf damage, you absolutely have the caterpillars. But I do think that the aphid eggs are kind of easier to spot to the naked eye. Okay. So I think that because you could well have both. Yes, very well. <laughs> so I'd say you probably did have both, especially given you've now got caterpillars. I suppose it's important. You want to remove either. So whatever Mm. eggs you see, like if you're doing some kind of audit on the plants and you're going to get rid of the stuff there, like you want to get rid of the aphids and the cabbage moth, cabbage butterflies. Mm -hmm. So whatever's living on there, get rid of, is the first step. So maybe it doesn't matter that much exactly what they are. You're going to try and blast them both off. And with the cabbage moth and butterfly, the thing that usually is the what alerts you to the problem is not these eggs on the leaf, but is the damage sustained, mm. as you've seen. You can just Google, like Google a photo of a cabbage butterfly egg. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So they're little and they're yellow. And I mean, they're not yellow, like, not like. I think just Google a photo. <laughs> <laughs> Google a photo. But at the end of the day, this is what's most important. Is there something doing damage to your plant? Yes mm. or no? If there's not, you don't have a problem. And if you do, you've got a problem. If you've got caterpillars on your plants, as you have found this week, and as I have found this week, there is no doubt that you had eggs there. So the aphid doesn't turn into a caterpillar? No. The aphid is just the aphid. Oh, okay. Yep. (laughs) We'll do another episode on that. The aphids, I'm not saying they're not problematic, but they've got nothing on the the caterpillar. As 
Tessa scene. So we put some photos on Instagram of both my garden and Tessa's garden where we did some manual removal. I'll tell you something for nothing. Mm. The manual re- removal sucks. <laughs> What I think is also a problem with the manual removal, I did it myself this week and I have a lot more plants than you. It was a big job, but because I feed it to the chickens, I kind of felt like I'm just finding food. So it's kind of had two benefits for me. Mm. The thing is, is that the the small caterpillars, the newly hatched ones, they're very small. Mm. So the ones that you were finding were the big chunkers. They've already eaten most of your leaf and they're probably about to turn into a butterfly. So what's most important is you find the smaller caterpillars and mm. they're the harder ones to find. They are. And they really blend into the leaf. They are very good at camouflage. But once it's funny, once you're like eyes become attuned to yeah, them, yeah, you yeah. see them and they're everywhere. Remember in the episode I said it's like almost like your eyes like focus yeah. differently and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this whole thing is moving and it's I didn't a see a single. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you've now removed what you've seen, but you're also going to try and Yeah, I spray. absolutely have zero confidence that I removed 100% of them. Mm. I was out there with my morning coffee trying to get it done <laughs> and then I just had to get on with my day. So yeah. I will be off to the hardware store to get the dye mm. pill and tackle it with that mm. as well. I've obviously missed the opportunity to do the decoys to do the decoys mm. the butterfly scarecrows so save that for next year i'm yeah. just gonna have to tackle this with the dye pill mm. also just remember like tess put up some photos of her plants and they have been eaten the thing is with <laughs> they <have been> eaten. <laughs> yes they have they have been damaged there's no two ways about that but we're not growing leafy crops for the sake of leafy crops here so the plants will recover like mm. i think they're broccoli so like what you want is broccoli in the future and they will be fine. Obviously, as discussed in that episode, if it keeps going too much, the plant will be irreversibly damaged. But at this point, this early on in the season, you're getting it under control now, your plants will be fine. Yeah, so don't pull everything out. Goodness, no. One other tip I have on this topic, which I should have really mentioned in the episode, is I find anecdotally, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I've grown kale every year for eight years now, the curly green kale and the red Russian kale are not as appealing to the caterpillars as the black Tuscan kale. I love black Tuscan kale. That's the one that we all know and love. It's quite dark. The leaves are quite thin and flat almost. I think it's the best tasting kale, but it is the hardest to grow. The caterpillars absolutely love it. I have to really work hard to get my black Tuscan kale through autumn without being too damaged mm-hmm. my red russian and my curly green that's quite I interesting could, i could honestly probably i probably do do nothing to them like mm. i just plant them and get on with it like they don't need they get a little bit eaten but in the scheme of things nothing that would cause any problems i wonder if it's because especially with the red russian which i find the easiest it has a slightly different color like it is it's not red like you know, it's not like Chinese flag red, but like it's... No, it's like kind of... Pur- is it pur- yeah, purpley? like a bit purpley, a bit greeny still. So like it's... it, But it's not that traditional green. So I do wonder if the caterpillars struggle to camouflage as well to that plant. Oh, yeah. And then that's why they don't see it as like a safer option or mm. something like that. But yeah, look, if if you're doing this season right now and you're like, these caterpillars are just beyond, next year... Grow some red Russian kale and just leave your kale at that. Mm. And See I what hope, happens. Yeah. I hope 
that you find the same experience as me. But I feel like after eight years now, I'm, I'm back in it. Shall we get on to today's topic? Well, I think so. Let's talk mustard. Let's talk mustard. And particularly, let's talk about how to eat and cook mustards because mm. I want to sell people on mm. this crop before we talk about yeah. how we grow it. So, Elise, give us your big sales pitch. So, mustard is spicy lettuce. Okay. Imagine lettuce with a dressing on it, a mm. mustard dressing. Built-in dressing. A built-in dressing, a built-in flavour bomb. You can eat it raw in salads like lettuce or you can cook it in stir fries like you would silver beet or bok choy. It often used a lot in Asian cooking. I would say when you're eating it, especially raw, you're probably not going to do your entire salad of mustard greens. Like that might be too much flavor. Mm-hmm. What I would often do is take some of my loose leaf lettuce, some of my regular rocket, which is a bit more um, muted in flavor, and then have half of those leaves and then half the mustard leaves. Okay. And often when you buy like a masculine mix in the supermarket or the market that's got kind of all those different leaves in it, you will actually have some mustard leaves in there. You just haven't even realised. What? How do they look? They just look like lettuce. Are they like lighter in colour or darker in colour? Well, there's heaps of varieties of mustard, massive amounts. So the same way with lettuce, we have different shaped lettuces. We have different like different shaped leaves. Mm. We have different coloured lettuces. It's the same with mustards. You could have... 10 different leaves that look totally different that'll be different varieties. Okay. So you just pick the variety of the flavour that you like. When you cook them in a stir fry, like you're getting so much flavour and so much nutrition and it's just so easy to include it that way. So it's probably one of the few things that I like cooked just as much as I like raw. Mm. Tomatoes also, but, you know, (laughs) that one doesn't count. Have I sold you on the eating? Yeah, they sound exciting. They really are. And like the one that I grow a lot of is wasabi mustard, which tastes like wasabi and I love wasabi. But then there's all different types and some are punchier than others and some are this and some of that, but they're all they're all easy. Is it the wasabi mustard different from the wasabi rocket you've mentioned before? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I assume that neither of them actually have anything to do with wasabi, but they just taste similar, so therefore mm. are marketed that way. I think the wasabi mustard is easier to grow than the wasabi rocket. Oh, okay. Mustards are offensively easy. They're like... Are we in Black Thumbs of Death territory? Oh, look, we don't want to use that. But <laughs> yes, there's a few... Yeah. But yes. <laughs> but yes. So radishes we had as Black Thumbs of Death territory, but actually on reflection, a green, a leafy green is always going to be easier than a root or a fruit mm. crop. So actually I'm going to say... This trumps radishes. This is ultimate. Ease. Ultimate ease. They grow like a lettuce, but just less fussy, faster, easier, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that they are delicious and they're easy to grow, I think means this has got to be a no-brainer for the beginner gardener. Mm. Try it. And if you don't like it, well, then fine. I'll admit defeat, but like give it a crack first. (laughs) It's a really good one to grow in autumn, hence why Mm -hmm. we're talking about it today. Like lettuce, it's difficult to grow in the middle of summer because it will often bolt and go to Mm. seed. And we don't want that because we're here for the leaves, not the seeds. But it's a perfect one to grow once the weather starts to cool down. Like we discussed with all our winter veg, our winter garden, 
we plant them in autumn when there's a bit of warmth they'll grow quite fast because they're incredibly fast growing and then we'll be able to eat them all through winter Mm. so it's a really great winter crop so now is absolutely the time to plant fun fact the seeds of the mustard plant are mustard seeds ah shouldn't be surprising but it even was to me well, I had been thinking that there was no connection between them apart from they had a similar flavour profile. But yeah, that so you get the mustard seeds from the plant when it goes, goes to, seed. to seed. Yeah, yep. So if you let it go to seed, like you will have seen with your lettuces, like you will have seen with your rocket, it will go to seed, it will create flowers, it will set seed. Those little seeds are the mustard seeds that you use to make your mustard that you'll put in salad dressing. I use mustard seeds in my cooking all the time. And the different varieties of the mustard plants that I was discussing are the different varieties of the mustard seeds. So black mustard seeds, brown mustard seeds, yellow mustard seeds, all different mustard plants. For people who are making mustard, Mm. they must have a huge amount of mustard plants because you probably don't get very many seeds from each. I think when you start to grow and you realise how many plants are needed to get seeds and whether that be something like fennel seeds that we're eating or whether it be seeds like chia seeds or flax seeds or something that we'll mm. like sesame seeds that we'll use a fair whack of in our cooking, it's actually quite amazing how cheap and accessible they are to us. Because, yeah. And I buy – I don't grow my own mustard seeds for seeds. Like I do for the leaves but I don't like harvest the seeds – I can buy like a kilo of mustard seeds for six bucks or something. Yeah. It's so cheap. I mean, you think about how many plants had to be grown, they had to be started from seeds themselves, the soil had to be cultivated, they had to be watered, then they have to be harvested, which I think that's the Mm. prick of a job. You've got to get them out of the seed pods, clean them, et cetera, et cetera. Like it is, it just blows my mind. If you wanted to make your own mustard from mustard seeds, you can grow your own. But like I said, I don't even because it's so cheap to just buy the seeds. Interesting though, this is when we talk about gardening smarter and not harder. If you were growing them for the seeds, which some people will, you wouldn't plant them in autumn. You would actually plant them in spring or summer. Because you want them to bolt. Because you want them to bolt. Yeah. So if you want seeds, you're going to grow them at certain times a year. For us, growing them for the leaves, we're going to plant them in autumn because we want to put off that so it really could seeds. be a year-round crop for mm. you if you want to do that. Definitely. With the seeds also is that they will probably go to seed come spring, like whatever you've got left in the garden over autumn. If you let them set seeds, which I don't even intentionally do, but it just happens because life happens and next minute there's mm. seeds, they'll then fall throughout the garden. And I often find I have mustard plants just popping up everywhere, which I don't hate because... I can eat them. Yeah. You know? Like it's not like if a tomato pops up, like you can't just leave a tomato on the edge of your garden bed next to something else, you know, like it's never going to work. Mm. Whereas with something like a mustard, which is kind of like a lettuce, if it just pops up on the side of my garden bed, then free food. Mm. So it's a, it's a good one to kind of cultivate as a weed in the garden. Can you grow a mustard plant from the mustard seed that you would buy at mm. the market or supermarket or wherever? Yeah, good question. I would wonder, my guess, I don't know, but my guess is, especially given how cheap they are, they're actually not grown and harvested in Australia. I don't think on Australian wages you could make that happen. (laughs) So my guess is they've been imported from overseas. I would wonder if they're, like, treated in some way from a, like, biological perspective. that's not the preferred, not like a garlic. I'm not saying you can't, 
but I would I would wonder. Mm. So theoretically, yes, of course you should be able to, but in practice it might not work mm-hmm. that well. The other interesting thing about this seed discussion is, like I said, there's kind of three two or three common mustard seeds that you can buy. But when you look at how many plants are actually available, like if you were obsessed with mustard, you could grow some pretty amazing mustard seeds and make some very unique mustard that you literally Mm. could not buy by growing some of these other varieties and harvesting their seeds. Like if you're a real foodie, you could get very creative with that. Have you ever tried to make your own mustard? I do. I I do make my own mustard, How Can you just give us a run through of... It's very easy. You take mustard seeds... The yellow ones are milder in flavour. The black-brown ones are more fiery. So Mm -hmm. if you want like a really hot mustard, you use more of the dark ones. If you want a milder mustard, you use more of the light ones. You soak them overnight in vinegar. Oh, okay. Yep. And then you soak them for about 24 hours. Then you puree the crap out of them. Do you drain them off? No. Okay. You include the the vinegar, which is also why mustard is one of those ingredients that never goes mouldy. Like you can have it for like years and years because the vinegar is preserving it. I do a honey mustard, so I get my honey and kind of whip that with the mustard. If you puree it and puree it and puree it, you'll get that smooth, like a Dijon mustard type situation. Mm. If you just puree it enough to break up some of the mustard seeds but leave some of them whole, then you get that whole seeded mustard that we know and love. You can add garlic to it. You can add spices. I don't know. Mm. But like really it's just – it's really just vinegar and mustard seeds. Yeah, nice one. And salt. Definitely easy to make and given how cheap it is, like if you're buying a kilo of mustard seeds and vinegar is super cheap, like give it as edible gifts. Like how cool is that? You mm. made your own mustard. Maybe we should talk about growing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's – I imagine as we're going to draw on a number of the topics that we've already covered off, but let's go through it. Let's. Bang on. Most of this stuff we've already discussed, whether it be talking about lettuces, whether it be talking about Swiss chard, whether it be talking about rocket. The mustard is not fussy about where it's planted. It's pretty easy. It's also happy in part shade. Could you plant it? So I have, for example, my sprouting broccoli in. Mm. I've got a bit of space Mm. around. Could I plant it around my sprouting broccoli? Definitely while your spraying broccoli is young, you can. I would say probably by the time that it's starting to form heads, I wouldn't want it competing Mm, with mustard. A common one is garlic. So I know you might not be attempting garlic again this year, but something like garlic or carrots that need a really long time in the ground and need a bit of space around them, when they're young, they don't need all that space. So you could grow mustard between your other crops. And then as the garlic or the carrots get bigger you'd pull the Mm. mustard out to give it its full space that would be a really efficient way to grow so as always seeds or seedlings this one i'm locking in 100 percent seeds Mm -hmm. most of the time i say do what you want to do no not with this (laughs) (laughs) seeds like rocket it's the same thing like you just you're going to buy some punnet of seeds or grow your own punnet of seeds you're going to be transplanting it's going to only be like a couple of plants they grow so well from being direct sown Mm -hmm. it's just so easy i cannot imagine why anyone would want to make that harder and effectively for no gain we're sold sold go seeds. (laughs) seeds there's also a huge amount of variety from seeds like i said there's so many different ones, so it's also pretty fun picking your kind of flavour. The two ones I grow the most of are the wasabi, as discussed, and also one called Red Giant. 
Mm-hmm. That photo on our Instagram of my mustard, that's a red giant. I don't know why. I, why do I grow the red giant? <laughs> it looks really pretty. It's got big leaves. It grows so fast that if you could, o- if you could only eat mustard, like if someone could be happy only eating mustard, you could feed yourself forever mm-hmm. on like one packet of seeds. So definitely seeds. Soil prep, another thing we talk about, I wouldn't stress too much. It's a pretty easy crop. Being a leafy green, again, nitrogen's important. So if you've got some animal manure, that's going to do a really great job of giving your mustard a good go. And we're definitely direct sowing. We're not container growing. No, no, no container growing. Direct sow. End of story. Trying to transplant something like a ro- like you've grown rocket. It's the same kind of idea. Yeah. No, no fun. Not up for it. So I do a lot of the container growing to save myself time and space in the garden, mm-hmm. as discussed. Given that the rocket, sorry, the mustard grows so fast, you're not saving a lot of time mm. like you would be for some other crop. So mm-hmm. that's another reason why just stick with the direct sow. And of course, if you've got no idea what we're talking about with the direct sow container grow, go back and listen to those episodes and that will also give you a really good how-to for the direct sowing too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The same direct sowing method we talk about there is what you'll be doing here for the mustard. That's it. Like you've sprinkled it on, you've given it water, you're good to go. Do we have to worry about any kind of pests? Like are the cabbage moths interested in the mustards? Very interesting question, Tess, because mustard is technically a brassica, which means it's in the broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower family, which means that the cabbage butterfly should be really keen on it. But for some reason, I just never have a problem with it. Mm, That's good. That's another benefit for it. It is good. I've heard of people growing mustard as like a decoy crop for the caterpillars. Remember we talked about how you can grow something that you actually kind of don't want as like a way to like suck all the pests to that plant to leave it off the other ones? Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like they all go for my kale and my Brussels sprouts. Like they're not interested in my mustard. Mm. So I don't know. Apparently it could be a problem. With the mustard, because it grows so fast, you can kind of hold off planting it until it's a little bit later and a little bit cooler. So with our Brussels sprouts, for example, in Australia, we're planting them in like December, January. So that's a lot of cabbage moth time mm. that we have to like defend it. But with the mustard, you can really plant them at any time throughout autumn. So you could wait until it's a bit cooler and then you're going to have less butterflies and moths around to do the chomping. Mm. So that also could help. Other than that, there's really nothing else we need to worry about. Obviously, slugs and snails can be an issue when it's young, but no more so for this than lettuce is a rocket Mm. so it's pretty easy after literally a couple of weeks you're going to have a plant that you can start harvesting from oh that's good yeah same with your lettuces how you harvest the outer leaves first and kind of keep the middle growing you would do that for your mustards the younger leaves the more tender they are the less spicy they are so these are really good ones to put in your salads Mm mm-hmm The bigger the leaves get, the older the plants get, the more fiery and spicy they get. So sometimes with my mustard red giant, when the leaves are like the size of silver beet, they're a bit too much to eat raw. That's when I start putting them in stir fries. Okay. If you've direct sown them and you've got too many plants have come up, like you've been too successful, Mm. which could happen because they do love being grown that way, 
keep harvesting them while they're little and then as they get bigger and bigger, some will get naturally crowded out or you might pull a few out Mm -hmm. just to do the spacing. But for the most part, they just sort them out themselves. They like constant moisture. They don't want to dry out. That's probably the one thing you've got to know. But this time of year, that's not really an issue for us Mm. because the soil is not going to dry out. So they really just take care of themselves. That's amazing. I know. So like how have we gone a whole year of the podcast with no mustard discussion? (laughs) Another benefit, and you know how much I love multiple purposes in the garden, is the mustard roots and leaves are actually really good at controlling nematodes and fungi and different soil-borne issues we might have. So actually growing them is a really good way of inoculating and treating your soil. I've never had enough of an issue with any kind of fungi to be like, I'm intentionally growing mustards for this reason. But the fact that I put a crop in, you know, every autumn in one bed or another bed is just one way of kind of managing the health of my soil, probably in a preventative way as well. So that's that dual benefit. Love the dual benefit. Remember when we talked about in the autumn episode about growing like a cover crop or a green manure Mm -hmm. in autumn as a way to like feed the soil if you're not going to grow anything else actually mustards are often used as a cover crop or at least are part of a mix that's a cover crop Mm. so that just shows you how much benefit they're giving to the soil how fast they grow how they'll like take it over which means there's kind of no space for weeds to come up so the fact that we can kind of get a cover crop growing and eat it as well yeah fabulous love that So the big question, is the juice worth the squeeze? This is where we look at the effort-reward ratio of today's topic. The categories are superstar, high effort, high reward. Completing this will make you feel like an absolute rock star. Best on ground, low effort, high reward. Quick wins and fill-ins, low effort, low reward. And finally, the wooden spoon, high effort, but not much reward. Tess, I feel like the uh, mustard growing spokeswoman today. Tell me, (laughs) (laughs) have I sold you on the mustard? What are we thinking for the squeezy juice? Well, I know what you're thinking. Of course, it's best on ground. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Just, I mean, saying that it's even easier than a radish to grow, Mm. low effort, the dual benefit that we just discussed, that it's good for the soil as well. And, Mm. I mean, I haven't tried it, but sounds sounds tasty. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds interesting to have in 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 the kitchen as well. I think if you're going to enjoy eating it, because obviously, as yeah, you discussed, have to, you have course, to. Like, yeah. it could be the easiest thing to grow if you're not going to eat it. Well, you don't it. have to. You can just be worried about your soil. Exactly. And if you've got chickens, that seems to be the theme of autumn at the moment, they're going to love your mustard. <laughs> so you're right. Even if you're not going to eat it, it's still that good that we should grow it. <laughs> Rooting for You is hosted by Elise and Tess, artwork by Lauren Janine. You can find us on Instagram at Rooting for You Pod or email rootingforyou at elisealexandra.com. And remember, we are rooting for you.